This is episode 11 with Megan Pai, VP at Google. Welcome to Asian Tech Leaders. My name is Justin Peng, and each week we share insights from Asian tech leaders to help inspire and guide you to reach your full potential. Thanks for spending some time with me today, and let's get started. Megan Pai is a VP at Google, where she's been at the company for 17 years. On this episode of Asian Tech Leaders, I chat with Megan about her upbringing in China, the role that her strict parents had in her career choices, and what she thinks needs to be done to improve diversity and technology. Hope you guys enjoy this episode, and let's get started. Hi, Megan. Thanks for joining the Asian Tech Leaders podcast. How are you doing? Very good. Thank you, Justin. Thanks for having me. Great. Um, and right now, you are in Mountain View, California? Yes, it's a sunny outside. I'm sorry. <laughs> Which is very different from what I'm looking at, which is a foot of snow and uh, probably 20 degree Fahrenheit weather. So um, I'm feeling the warmth through the uh, video conference. Good, good. <laughs> um, first off, I wanted to congratulate you on reaching your 17-year Googleversary, which just passed, I think, at the end of November. Um, how does it feel? <laughs> It feels like I'm exposed a little bit how old I'm, <laughs> um, but it's been good. Like I, I have really enjoyed um, my time at Google, and um, it seems like that still continue will continue to be the pay, uh, case for for a little while at least. And so the company is uh, it's doing really well, and um, I have a lot of trust in the in the, in our leadership, um, and um, yeah, I love what I do. I love my team, so I feel very fortunate. That's great. And when you first started at Google, did you imagine you would be here for 17 years or was never, it really a much never. shorter company? Yeah. No, I was thinking maybe like this is just one of the other companies and that I will stay around for maybe at most uh, three years and right. and things will change again. Yeah. yeah. And what, what were your earliest memories of Google? What was it like when you joined in uh, 2002? Um, earliest memory... Um, so one of, um, so I joined, um, one of the, the few things I remember that when I joined, um, I did, um, I interviewed with 15 people Wow. <clears throat> and I, I joined, I remember just, um, before, right before Thanksgiving and, uh, um, my, my, my mentor, my buddy, uh, was uh, taking off for Thanksgiving holiday. He just handed me a pager on my day one, say like, I'm off, I've been waiting for you to get started, and bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going on vacation, thanks for joining. Uh, so that was uh, interesting, and uh, that was uh, when we had a product service that was um, going down like uh, literally 10 times a night. And, um, so that was one thing I remember. The second thing I remember was uh, how incredibly uh, smart and and and, and, and non pretentious people were at the time. Really, what you hear about Google was really true at the time. Like uh, people just work together. And there isn't an, a ton of hierarchy and, and I remember all the engineers worked for the same manager for, for many years and um, and then everybody knew Charlie. Charlie's cafe was actually yeah. run was used to run by Charlie. Charlie knew everybody. He mm. would know 
uh, you by name if you take more than one piece of steak. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. You could go to cafe and see everybody in the same uh, cafeteria and have a conversation. And um, um, yeah. That's great. And back when you started, were you working uh, more on like the search product or AdWords? What part of the business were you working on? So um, I joined the enterprise search team as an engineer. And uh, that's when we had uh, two different types of products for enterprise search. One is uh, the, the yellow box, you can search in for it. It's the Google search appliance product mm. and uh, that will go into server farms. And the other product we call it um, hosted site search. This is where we hosted indices and enough search clusters for yeah. other enterprise companies. Great, great. And obviously Google has expanded their service and product by a lot since then. So it must have been interesting to, for you to see the impressive amount of growth the last um, 17 years. Yes, they yeah. are, they, it's, been, it's been a very, very crazy and enjoyable, exciting ride. Yeah, yeah, awesome. And maybe it would be great to, to kind of rewind a little bit and talk more about your childhood. Um, so could you share a little bit more about, you know, where you're born, what, what the early years of your life look like? Oh my gosh. Um, so uh, I guess in many ways, and uh, you probably can relate to like, uh, I grew up in very, Typical Asian family had a lot of Asian values, and you, you be frugal. You have to study yeah. hard, and you have to um, have good moral values. You have to respect the elderly and look yeah. after the, the, your younger siblings, and, and you have to, um, um, you know, do good, at, do well at school, and, and you know, you not getting too distracted with social life and, and sports and music and all that stuff. Um, my, I was born on a train and, um, uh, which in, which, in, uh, was, is probably a little bit unusual. And, and my, my, I was born, uh, six weeks, uh, premature. Wow. Um, but I, but I, and I, 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 my parents, uh, still argue about where exactly I was born because um, they were too busy at the time. <laughs> Mm. And um, I grew up in a in Hunan province in, in Changsha, the capital city of Hunan. And um, growing up, I think that um, um, my mother is uh, more strict than my father, mm. but also my mother. Um, interestingly enough, my mother um, had a very similar growing up as I did, and in ways that she actually left her home when she was 16, uh, went to Xinjiang, Xinjiang to, she just decided to leave a note to her family, I'm going to explore the world, and, and she took some money and, um, and, and, and went to a huge, like went, to, went to a very remote part of the country and very far away from the family. And um, so early on in my childhood, and, and although she was very strict with me, and she would always say, I want you to go as far as you can and fly as high as you can. Um, I didn't know what that meant. I think that's probably her, um, 
her own as sort of uh, like a dream aspiration, like uh, trying to um, cast on me. And um, so my, um, I grew up in a household with one other sibling, my sister and I. My father and I um, have a very interesting relationship because uh, he would tell my sister and I, say like, you know, a typical Asian dad and um, uh, had a lot of unconscious bias uh, against the girls. And um, he would say to us that, um, I wish you guys were boys. And if you were boys, I would teach you to do so many things. And, my father came from a family um, where they had a lot of uh, privilege in edu from an educational point of view. My grandfather went to Harvard and Yale and um, went back to China to teach in um, history. So my father had a very good education and um, he, um, he, he could play a lot of instruments and he was uh, he was a principal at an at um, uh, agricultural school, and um, uh, he played sports. And, but he would say to us, you know, you girls, like, and, you know, uh, I wish you were boys. I would teach you all the things I knew how to how to do, and with music and sports and, and you know, engineer and stuff, engineering stuff. Um, we didn't think much of it uh, growing up. Um, um, because, uh, you know, that's all you know, like it doesn't really change how you think about your, your family, but uh, thinking back, it's, uh, it's definitely, um, uh, I, 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 it's, it's really sad to think that your own father would say that you wish you were born differently. Um, so the, the first person that we really made a mark on me was when I went to um, when I was in middle school, I had um, a math teacher, and then the math teacher, like, um, I just felt that she saw something in me, and she would say things like that to me, like she said, like, you know, Megan, like, a, um, I, you, you are very gifted in math and, and science. I think you're going places, and I don't know where and how, but I know that you're going places. And, and um, so she was my teacher and throughout the middle school years, and I became very close to her. Um, surely enough, and I became, uh, I excelled in those subjects and uh, became super interested and, uh, in becoming this uh, uh, unattainable like uh, being that she was describing. Mm -hmm. And um, and and it's funny, like. Uh, we had a reunion with her uh, just a couple of years ago and um, with a bunch of students from the same year. And it turns out she said the same thing to all of us. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, and it just shows like what a teacher mm. can do to people's lives. And, uh, so that was really my first, um, sort of the first uh, kind of a pivotal moment in my life. I realized mm. that um, I could be someone, you know, and not just uh, uh, because I was a girl, and uh, and um, not because I was a boy, I was just that this person had this gift and potential. So that mm -hmm. was a super uh, powerful uh, turning moment in my life. Mm. It's very inspirational. And it, yeah. it sounds like she was such an important person to help you see your full potential and believe in yourself. And up until then, was that not really uh, present or available? 
No, up until then, I think like um, everybody just told you, like told me that you know, ah, you're so pretty, you know, and mm. uh, you listen to your parents so well. And um, in Chinese, you mm. Tinghua means mm. like you obey, um, so well, and um, so those are the, those were the qualities that right. were burned in my mind that were supposed to who I was supposed to be and who I was supposed to become. Mm. And it, it's interesting because as I was um, doing preparation for this um, conversation, I saw the article that you wrote on Medium, um, and you mentioned as as well the quote that your mother said to encourage you to fly as far as you could, but also to limit what you were um, aiming to achieve. And it sounded like it it got you to focus, or your mother got you to focus a lot on acad academics and not on extracurriculars. Um, could you share a little bit more about that and how that experience was growing up? Sure. Um, so um, I uh, so my mom is uh, me and my mother have we have uh, incredibly complicated relationships. Like uh, I think, like we're more alike than we we realize probably. Um, but uh, we had a very rocky relationship for like since even when we were since I was a little kid. Uh, she was incredibly strict with me, and um, and then she spent enormous amount of time and effort in raising me. Um, I almost never agreed with what she said, what she did. Um, so one of the things that she did was, uh, um, it turns out when I talked to my Asian friends, like um, my mom was not unique, and a lot of. Uh, us and East Asians growing up a household with either your mom or grandmother or dad are like that. And so she, she, she just said like you know those things like you want to do like dancing or singing and uh, um, playing sports and yeah. um, uh, those things are just a waste of time. And I dabbled a little bit when I was in elementary school, like um, doing debates and and. Um, and then uh, you know, go. I I was asked to like doing MC for events and mm. uh, join the dance team, and uh, I did a little bit of that. But as soon as I hit high school and middle school, and she would say, "You gotta stop all of that because you gotta have to study and you gotta have bring back good grades." And, and then, um, and then as you know, like uh, a lot of Asian countries, like a treat to high school grades a lot more seriously than we do in the United States. And, um, your grades like are publicly uh, <laughs> announced and, mm -hmm. and you have a rank that's made publicly aware um, in, in, throughout the entire community. Like in, in, in your grade, who is ranked first and second. And so it was very important for her for me to be within number, within the top 10 mm -hmm. out of I think it was like um, I don't know three hundred uh, students, wow. um, and um, so that was that was a ton of pressure, and um, and then, and then they're very good at shaming you as well when you are not doing as well, mm. and uh, uh, so so that w those were the reasons mainly those were the like it's societal like a shaming and and yeah. guilt and and uh, just academic pressure and the major mm. to really wanted me to focus on just studying, not anything else. Mm. And um, it sounds like there's an interesting turning point as you got older where 
your mom wanted you to be a doctor or like be a professional and then you decided to skip college yeah so so um so yeah so that was interesting so when i went to when i graduated from high school um typical asian kids you know overachieving asian i graduated mm -hmm. when i was 16 and um uh, um, I was uh, supposed to go to university and to become either an engineer or a doctor. And, yeah. and um, so uh, during that summer before I started college, and um, I just uh, resented, started having, building this resentment against um, everybody around me, like um, how I, my life was lived and um, according to how other people wanted me to live. Or, and um, it just so happened that um, in our neighborhood, and like and a lot of girls and uh, were talking about, you know, oh, this airline is looking for flight attendants. Like, um, um, this was in um, ninety, year ninety or ninety one. I can't remember mm -hmm. anymore. Uh, it must be ninety. Um, so, so I was like, you know, a bunch of friends want to go. They really want to do it because back then, airline industry was just taking off in the country, and mm. uh, and it was super selective. Like, would pick uh, literally five people out of a thousand. Wow. Island. And uh, they say, okay, this is very glamorous. You can travel, and you could wear this beautiful uniform, <laughs> and and you get paid a lot. And yeah. And uh, so my friends said, look, you want to go? I said, why not? So we went. Uh, one thing. One thing led to another, led to another, and, and I became five out of five uh, people that selected out of a thousand applicants. Wow! And um, uh, I think a lot of it because, um, um, ironically, I think um, the biggest reason I think I got the job was because um, I had twenty twenty vision. <laughs> And my mom, that was that was a really big thanks to my mother, mm. who was always uh, very, uh, very strict with how I would sit and where I would read and mm. how I should rest my eyes. And uh, <laughs> thanks to her, and I had the I had the ability to rebel against her. So I, <laughs> so I came back to my parents to say, look, like um, I think I'm gonna skip university because uh, I have. A job now that can get paid so much more than yeah. all of you, <laughs> and um, I get to see the world. And um, uh, so, so was was uh, that was uh, my my uh, my big um, wow uh, rebellious moment. How did they like? How did they react to that? And were you more informing them or consulting them? It sounds like you I just told them like scared. I'm going. Oh yeah, I was trembling. <laughs> uh, I knew that. Um, uh, I knew that um, they would get very angry, and um, it, I would be a disgrace uh, to everybody, and uh, to my teacher, to my school, and, and to the family, and uh, to relatives. And I, um, uh, it was I, my my mother. Uh, threatened, I think, to, to disown me, like if you would go go down that path. And, mm. But uh, and your teachers, I, it was a big chaos. But in the end, they they relented because, uh, um, you know, uh, it was a good job, and uh, from many from a you know uh, prestige and from the economic point of view, like um, I think. Um, 
and it made sense in many ways. So they they kind of agreed for me to to do it. And here now, like you know, like in the U.S. and in the West, you talk about gap here. It's really gap. It's what that's what I consider gap. Right. Um, and also because you graduated early, you had a little bit more time than your peers. Is that how you viewed it as well? I, I no, I wasn't thinking that at all. Oh, okay. okay. I was really thinking that okay, I've got this. And yeah. I don't need to do things of what other people tell me to do, and I'm just gonna gamble, see what happens. Yeah. So um, then, how long how long did you end up being a flight okay. attendant for? So that was also a really interesting experience. So like um, so. Back then, like in the early nineties in in China, like when you have a job, you have a job for life. Yeah. Um, you don't think about quitting, and um, there isn't there isn't there isn't a lot of mobility like in your career back then. So when I signed up to be a flight attendant, and um, I wasn't thinking too far, but I knew that that was basically um, part of me. I kind of knew, like um, without a lot of. Uh, lot of uh, wisdom in me like I knew that that was my job for life but uh, when I started started working um, as a flight attendant and uh, the glamour went away disappeared very quickly um, it would it became became really evident to me that and I had to I had to go back to school <laughs> and, and um, a few things that was like um, bother me a lot, like um, um, they how how flight attendants were treated. Mm. Um, most uh, of us were were uh, young women. Uh, we were treated very poorly by uh, the crew members and um, by the passengers, and uh, so stories that can go on for for a long mm. time, which you know, I won't go into. Uh, another thing is that I, I felt that you know um, I, I felt like I could do a little bit more in life than just I don't want to I don't want to sound bad, but I felt like I had a more potential in me to learn more, to grow mm. more than just um, being a flight attendant um, all my life. And, uh, you know, I, I I'm not um, saying this with disrespect to. Um, to flight attendants, and um, I just want to do more, and mm -hmm. um, and then um, I was uh, I was uh, I, I f my mother being a rebel, and um, that gene definitely passed on to me, and um, I decided um, to do something about it, and and uh, people uh, two years after. Uh, after that, I decided that I can, I, I'm going to quit this job, and people uh, again thought I was absolutely crazy. Right. Because you're leaving money on the table too, right? It's like yeah. a pretty well-paying job, and you're young. Guess how much money I was making in nine, year ninety in China? Um, in American dollars, uh, thirty thousand dollars. No, quite. I was okay. making uh, twenty-four, twenty-five thousand dollars a year. Wow. And this was when, like, uh, um, so my father's salary, annual salary, would be maybe, uh, uh, what would it be, two, two, maybe $5,000 a year. Dollars a year. Wow. So that was a, a huge, 
it was a lot. So like, mm. uh, so I, um, I quit a job. I said to my mom, I said that um, I'm going to college, and um, so they they said um, again, like you're crazy, and, um, <laughs> and again, like also like uh, universities are very different. Systems are very different uh, from here. Once you say no to the university who admitted you before two years prior, they're not gonna take you back. Mm. They they're not gonna delay your admission or right. and they say they, they you're gone, you cannot go back to the same university mm. anymore. So what they had to do is uh, we looked for universities that had um, more flexibility in taking like um, students like me would not would like uh, uh, <clears throat> it's kind of. Um, most students would go to university, those universities like um, uh, from different paths or like, mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, and then, and then I was lucky that I uh, found uh, the Shenzhen University, which is a university in Shenzhen where they had, uh, they started um, um, doing more innovative programs like um, exchange programs um, mm -hmm. with uh, partnering with another university in the US. Um, uh, where they uh, allow you to use your national entrance exams from two a few years ago and do another interview and, and that's how I got into university again. So my father mm -hmm. and my, my parents said, okay, now you're in university after all this hurdle that we had to endure and, and you have to study what we want you to study and you have to become an accountant and become, <laughs> like we told you that, um, um, you know, you didn't want to be an engineer, you didn't want to be a doctor, whatever, like um, you want to be in the yeah. uh, and then didn't work out and now you have to just be a normal and a marriable <laughs> a woman that become an accountant and yeah. have a stable life and uh, one day and uh, hopefully you'll find a good husband <laughs> and uh, to marry yourself off. So I didn't really have a lot of uh, ability to argue with them. So that's how I became account a bit became a uh, uh, became accounting major. That's great. And you were doing school in Shenzhen, and your were your parents back in your hometown, so they weren't actually geographically nearby. No, they were not nearby. Oh, okay, uh, okay. So uh, uh, I by then like uh, I developed a lot more independence mm -hmm. ability as well. Um, I. I was able to study well and do well in school, and um, um, and then um, I was uh, doing some intern um, work already um, in Shenzhen mm. during during summer during breaks, and uh, uh, one of the companies I actually interned with did um, uh, machine learning uh, devices, machine machine translation devices, wow. and um, so I. I uh, thought like, okay, Shenzhen is not bad, and I'm, I, 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 I could see me, you know, working in a tech company like that after graduating uh, with an accounting degree, and, and I was quite happy with uh, think how things were going, and uh, again, like, uh, <laughs> just um, peer influence, the peer pressure, they said, you know, this exchange program allows you to go to the U.S. to study, and, and uh, we should just try it, and so I went along and um, one thing led to another, and, and so I landed in the U.S. And, um, in my in my junior year um, to complete my accounting degree. 
you started your degree in Shenzhen and then you finished it in the States? Yes. Oh, great. It was and very, then... it's very untraditional uh, path uh, for uh, somebody from mainland China. Like mm. a lot, most people, um, and then I'm, I, I had um, met and, and during that time, like who were from China, they came here for PhD, came here, mm -hmm. here uh, uh, as an exchange scholar and, and who, uh, you know, who found jobs and, and, and very few people were here because it were like me. And nowadays it's very different. People yeah. came to Canada, came to US, I go to England to study. Um, and um, so as I came here, the first thing I realized is, gosh, like, uh, um, this is what the more freedom feels like. You could uh, study, you could quit, you can go to different states, you can, <laughs> you know, take these classes, and you yeah. can like get units from different uh, universities, and 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 I guess what you I actually can just uh, forget about counting and doing something else it's completely different. And then and my mom is not here to tell me what to do anymore. And uh, even though they will be mad, and I won't have to uh, sit in, uh, in a room, um, the same room with them to argue yeah. about this. Um, and so I decided, you know what, like uh, um, my middle school teacher was right. And I'm going to, uh, I love science and love engineering, love math. I'm going to be, uh, and Silicon Valley looks pretty good. I'm going to San Jose. And mm. I didn't even know how to pronounce San Jose <laughs> when I started to go San, I thought it was San Jose's. Right. <laughs> and um, and wow. uh, I came to San Jose and said, I'm going to San Jose State. That's the only, your only school I could really afford. Yeah. And then, and then uh, they, would they, they saw my grades and they, they came to CS department. I think mm. it's wonderful, actually. It's a wonderful program. Even today, I know... Uh, Another program, no professors there still like, um, and so uh, I did finish my accounting degree and um, a degree I never even um, bothered to to <laughs> to to get because I gave it back to my mom probably yeah. like um, <laughs> that's what I, she wanted and and then so I graduated from San Jose State with account with a computer science degree. Oh wow! So did you get a dual degree then? You had an yeah. accounting from Shenzhen and then computer science from San Jose? That's right. Okay, cool. And then when you started working, you were, this was kind of, you know, a year or two before the dot-com bubble. Um, yes. What was the environment like in the Valley then? And then what, what type of work were you doing straight out of university? So um, when I graduated, and like um, uh, the job market, I think was still quite good. I think I... Um, I interviewed, um, um, I didn't have any, I had nobody to help me because like, this is me like um, without family members, without a lot of, uh, not of uh, networking uh, I could rely on that and I just applied for jobs. I think I used them, um, I may have used the monster.com. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, so I just um, applied for jobs that looked good to me. Like I wanted a job where that um, I, I really I was uh, I was really into uh, computer systems and uh, network and uh, and uh, and security. So I want to do a job where I could uh, do a bit coding and a lot of the other things as well. 
So I got a number of offers and, and very quickly, uh, one from a, a media company. They did a lot of like um, uh, a lot of like a flash in macro media um, content publishing where they needed somebody who do a bit of everything. Um, and then, then I got an offer from more established company. I think it was either I can't remember it was HP or one of the other companies. And, mm. and then the other one was this, this small startup called Elingo, where we um, uh, this is dot com. Like uh, this, the, the reason this company was special is because it brought back memory of uh, me interning at this uh, machine. A translation uh, device company. They did tra machine translation, but they put the machine translation on the on the web. And mm. uh, so, so that attracted me quite a bit. And I got along with the people interviewed me really well as well, especially my hiring manager. So that was the first job I took, and worked at a company called Elingo. Mm, wow! And yeah, you, you basically have not left the Bay Area since, right? No, no, yeah. this is really, I have probably now, uh, you're going to start figuring out how old I am. I think I have now lived in here in the Bay Area longer than I had lived in, in, wow. in China. Wow. Yeah. Very cool. And it's just neat that you've been there the entire ride, right, to see early.com. Yeah. And then obviously, you know, there's so much happening in tech now. Um, yeah. So I'd love to switch gears in the you know last 10, 15 minutes and talk a little bit more about, uh, your your work and commitment to diversity and and helping um, uplift the voices and opportunities for those who are less represented. So within mm -hmm. Google, you started this um, initiative called Topa, and mm -hmm. it started to um, expand externally as well. Could you share a little bit more about what Topa is and and why sure. you decided to start that a couple of years ago? Sure, uh, Topa T O P P A and uh, Topa is uh, came from. Uh, a Japanese word called uh, topa and the kanji is the same for multiple languages and like Korean and uh, mm -hmm. um, the kanji version of the Korean um, and then the Japanese and Chinese and both traditional and then simplified and um, so it means breakthrough. Um, how Topa got started and I can share with you a little bit but um, the f community and uh, aims to help East Asian and who work in tech and to understand how they can get support for the career growth and, and support and in building those skills. Um, Topa has been, uh, been around um, for a little bit over two years and we actually are going to have launch of, uh, our, um, our annual Topa event and this coming Monday, we have close to 800 people uh, within Google RSVP for this event. Um, wow. um, we've come a long way. There's definitely uh, a, a huge need for this. Um, so how we came about um, starting Topa was because, uh, um, so when I got, um, when I, uh, I came to Google, to the, so there's a bit long version of the story. I'll, I'll make it super, super quick. So I came to Google and um, it's this incredible environment where that so many, there's so many smart people and you kind of like, I feel like uh, back then when I started, literally most people came to Google 
had to take a pay cut. Mm. Like people wanted to work here because of the culture, because of how smart people were. Everybody around you was in like many, many times smarter than me, like who I was ever gonna become. So all I could think about is that how I could um, work hard and keep my head down and deliver impact. Mm. So something probably sound very familiar with uh, with uh, a true, familiar to a lot of Asians because uh, we cherish the opportunity. We don't want to mess up. We just want to deliver impact. We yeah. want to be perfect. And, um, so it never occurred to me that um, uh, you know uh, the fellow Asians who looked like me um, had the challenges in in in, uh, in in work at work and in life professionally. Um, I was, I have been very lucky and uh, I got promoted to, uh, throughout my career at Google, none of which was a, a promotion I asked for. Um, mm. You could say maybe like, um, maybe had I managed my career uh, with better help, perhaps I could maybe uh, accelerate my, my promotion. I, I, I don't know, but I, I consider myself incredibly lucky with a lot of support and that um, from multiple allies uh, and sponsors and who were both men and women and um, from uh, from many different races. And, um, but when I became um, more senior at Google and, uh, and noticed that um, a lot of people started coming to me, uh, fr these are friends, Asian friends coming to me, asking for the same thing. Like, um, how do I become more visible? Like, uh, how do I have better presence? How do I speak up more in meetings, how do I get my manager to notice me, how do I have one-on-ones, and why is that I haven't gotten a promotion for five years, and even though my performance rating has been um, um, really good. Mm -hmm. um, so a group of friends, and like uh, we were having a lunch hot pot, and like Asian friends, and typical Asian thing to do. And um, we were talking about this. I started sharing some of my thoughts. They said, "Oh, this is so good. We're gonna have another follow-up." I said, "Fine. We'll do uh, like a brown bag, a lunch in a brown bag." And so we we're talking about how to schedule this brown bag, and um, and they said, "Okay, I think we should do it and um, be more organized, be so we can deliver better impact and and better. Uh, we make it and make this hour at one hour count." I said. That sounds great. Let's do it. So one thing led to another, and fast forward into uh, six months later, and so that was uh, they said like we have a few hundred people mm. who want to come to this event, and that I think uh, everybody want to talk about this. That was uh, the really the birth of Topa, mm. and that was the moment I realized that there is such a big need, and I had a role to play. Mm. It's great. I mean, I think just by having the people physically show up and say, hey, I, I just want to be part of the community. I don't know necessarily what we'll talk about or how we'll solve the problem I yeah. think is, is already great. And it's only been two years and um, can see a lot of momentum there. I, I guess, you know, one more specific question is more about this idea of the bamboo ceiling, right? So yeah. in Google's latest diversity reports, I think Asians represent almost 40% of the overall workforce. Um, but then when we go up to leadership level, the percentage drops to about 29%. And um, it largely skews men versus females. So what are kind of general thoughts on this idea of a bamboo ceiling? And, and how would you recommend people start to figure out how to break through that for their own career success? 
So the data you quote is accurate. Um, I, I think that um, another uh, data I would uh, recommend everybody to take a look at is uh, there is a Harvard Business Review article written by Denise Peck and um, uh, Bach Gee, both um, uh, are great friends of mine, and uh, they wrote an article um, talking about this Asian glass ceiling. Uh, basically, what they have done is incredibly valuable for the Asian community. They have aggregated it and aggregated and um, the the race gender data that uh, that each company submit to uh, the the government and um, I think EEOP data. Uh, mm. Some companies opt to make the data public, but by law they have to submit such data to the government. And, um, so they have found all the publicly available data for the past 10 years, for 10 years span, like uh, within the tech industry. I think it's across 100 different companies. And what they found is that um, Asians are the most likely um, group of people to be hired in tech, but the least likely group of people to be promoted. Mm. That narrative is super powerful. We're not crazy. The reason that I think uh, people look like us and are asking for career help is because we're not getting enough help. It's not because uh, we are more ambitious, we're more needy, and it's not because we wanted to make uh, the problems and uh, create problems. And, uh, as a matter of fact, um, we should be a lot more vocal. Should a lot more obnoxious about this and to create more a bit more attention. Um, so the Asian story is very difficult to tell the narrative. Yes, you could argue we are very well represented and, uh, as what you call it with the 40 percent. And, um, and, and also it's yes, like we, if you look at the, um, the, the, um, the, the leadership like um, a representation, we are definitely underrepresented. And then you break down between the gender, we're even, it's even worse. Like Asian women um, are much in, uh, less represented than Asian men. Mm -hmm. And it is another nuance, a level nuance. Like the data, sh uh, Asian is a broad category. So we don't break down between South Asian and East Asian as well. Yeah. So unfortunately, we don't have the data because uh, we can only collect data how Asians are defined. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we are unable to get those data to really tell that story. Mm -hmm. um, what I know is that um, what I know is that uh, for people like myself, for, for people, for for Asians who manage a team. And then what I would ask you to do is to to really find out and this nuanced story to develop your own narrative so you can talk about it. Mm -hmm. Not talking about it, it's a mistake if you are in a leadership role. Mm. And I, I think, you know, things like... Um creating your own initiatives like Topa or being part of internal community groups. Like at Google, we have the Asian Googler network. It's, it's great ways to just get plugged into the community and realize, um, you know, you're not alone. Um, and I guess in terms of actual um, tactical advice or, 
or workshops or books. Are there any any kind of resources that you'd recommend folks check out in addition to the mm -hmm. HPR article written by um, Buck G and Denise Peck? So, um, hmm, really good question. Um, let me send you some books and like, um, yeah. isn't a specific book that I can recommend to just about the Asian community, yeah. but uh, I do um, some mentoring and uh, they, there's, mm. a, there's a list of books that um, um, I often recommend to, mm. to people. Um, right. so I can send you a list of that. So one of them, um, the book is called um, Power, Why Some People Have It and Some People Don't. And uh, by Jeffrey hmm. Pfeiffer. Oh, interesting. So this book, um, I, I haven't, um, I mean, the first time I re read it was probably 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, that was quite eye-opening. It was just a common sense, and like a, just a, um, now that's <laughs> probably too, like a, too, when you read it, it's like, gosh, this is common sense. Why nobody told me about it? And um, but uh, it turns out like the, the there's some rules of like uh, how how you develop your network and develop your EQ, develop mm. your network and uh, getting the proper support and in a professional environment and the things that people just don't talk about. It. So I was very yeah. thankful that um, when the book came out and, and I was able to gain those insights. And, mm. Um, but I think, like the the for, for, as far as like a reading goes, like um, uh, I I don't think like the learning is actually that different for Asians versus any other race. Mm -hmm. I, I what I think is more important is the the community. Yeah. But uh, the reason that um, maybe you look look at other uh, groups of people. Where where they have been able to go further is because of the community support. They're able to harness uh, a community together to do peer support and to do sponsorship, to build a network, and for people in all different levels and different um, uh, different types of functions. And uh, I think that's what's been lacking. Mm. And then I guess kind of bring it back to Topa. What are the plans or ambitions to bring Topa more? Um, broadly to audiences and hopefully scale up globally um we we uh we do have some ambitions but like um uh so we have started taking some baby step to to uh, build alliances outside the company uh, one of the first thing we've done is um, we launched topa at berkeley mm. with uh, with the engineering uh department and, and we now have a TOPA program that's been running for a year now at Berkeley with 50, stu 50 engineering, school, uh, engineering school students. And we signed them a mentor from Google. Uh, a lot of them were uh, Berkeley alum. And um, so they meet once a month and, and uh, build a community of support. And, and, and I went there to launch this program. And I'm getting uh, a lot of great updates from them as well. Mm. That's so we're great. thinking about doing that broadly to other universities yeah. as well. We're thinking about doing that at Stanford and and San Jose State and um, 
um, in addition to schools, we're thinking about uh, introducing that to, to other companies as well. Mm. Um, Facebook uh, um, is the one that uh, we've been talking to for quite a while now that, that we'd like to um, Great. Um, find some time just to kick that off, um, mm. hopefully in the new year. Great, thanks. And they, I guess the last question before we wrap up is, if people want to find you on the internet, is there a best place for them to connect with you or just keep up to date on your latest um, thoughts and work? I'm on LinkedIn. I LinkedIn. welcome people uh, cool. to build new connections and find new friends. Great, great. Thanks so much, Megan. And again, on behalf of um, you know not just myself, but the entire Asian community, especially those at Google, thank you for being an inspirational leader. You know, it's always uh, really inspirational to see uh, a Asian leaders like yourself uh, be really successful and also just um, have somebody to look up to within the company. So thanks for all the work that you've done and also just bring together the Asian community as well. Thank you, Justin, for doing this. So getting our voice out. Thank you. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Asian Tech Leaders. Please share this with your friends and follow us and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting platform. Looking forward to our next conversation. And until then, take care.